Rebag is a luxury resale marketplace. They have a curated collection of investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry. Each piece is carefully vetted and verified by experts. You can buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Hermes, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. That's Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. Betches Media presents... I would like to speak to America's men for one minute. That slacker barista. I start getting full of emotion. Now we're going to build this new bridge here. Can I provide a definition? Mm-hmm. No, I can't. Betches Up Podcast. Like, how are people surviving? Hello, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Sammy Sage. I'm Caitlin Bird. And this is the Betches Up Podcast, where C-SPAN meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. Spooky season is finally winding down. This is our episode ahead of Halloween weekend. Halloween is on Monday, but this weekend feels like, you know, the the time. I don't know. Something tells us the three of us are not dress up for Halloween girlies, or am I wrong? You're right. But I do want to – I do actually want to bring up a point. You're right regarding me. I, I'm mm-hmm. not going to speak for Caitlin, but um, – We'll get there. I do want to call out. On the You Up podcast, Jared and Jordan, Jared and Jordana brought up a really important, you know, national issue, Please. and it's the fact that <laughs> Halloween. There's no reason for it to be fixed on October 31st. So they want to start a campaign, and this is obviously something that could bring together both sides of the aisle. I think everyone can agree on this. It's a very obvious thing to do. Business the owners Halloween should be should be the final Saturday in October. There's no reason for it to like remain October 31st. It should just be like Thanksgiving or like MLK Day, where it's always or election day, you know, speaking of the season, where it should just always be like a fixed day of the week. It just really like, makes like, no sense. Like Thanksgiving, but make yeah. it Halloween. Yeah, it just makes no sense that um well I feel like there's probably a, a reason. Like it's probably rooted in some sort of like tradition that nobody cares about. So theoretically could be moved. Who is the constituency who is gonna So Okay, Caitlin Caitlin knows Day of the Dead, November first, very important. Mexico is never gonna move it. That because of that nature of the two being so deeply connected, that's where the next day, All Souls Day is an important uh, day of memory for, uh, which is why October 31st became Halloween, kind of like smushing together those pagan rituals for the Catholic remembrance the next day. But do you think we would be offending anybody if we like (laughs) separated those? I think um, we should try. I always think we should, you know what? Ask, ask for forgiveness, not permission. I think. What if we could just do a bill that's like Halloween's changing Daylight savings reform, um, four-day weeks, and I, I don't know if we could slip this that one in there. This is how we can win the midterms. <laughs> I don't know if we could slip that one in there, but I do think we could get this Halloween one done. Definitely. And I think with the coalition of the You Up podcast and the Betcha Up podcast, we can probably call enough of our Congress people to demand this change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The final Saturday in October feels correct. But I also think, you know, the observance itself, you know, we can still kind of, I think that we can just kind of acknowledge like Halloween observance could be on the Saturday, but we'll still put the 31st as Halloween. I know it just feels natural to say like October 31st, 
also just kind of like the 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 31st always feels like a, a kind of fun extra day anyway so it's kind of like i don't know maybe we could just especially make, this make year as a monday like, yes you know halloween observed that way like the children like don't yeah. have to feel pressure you know <laughs> and nobody's confused like which day are we trick or treating i mean like there's nothing worse exactly. than realizing like when it's in a when it's a really awkward time it's like and you're not ready i mean i don't live in a place sam you're probably going to have legit trick or treaters Honestly, I don't think I'm going to have legit trick or treaters. Really? No, not I not in your neck I, of Long Island. No, I have a few. Like, there's like very few young children here, and I feel that Itchy. they're probably gonna like. You're a witch, Sammy. <laughs> they're good. They're repelled. I mean, I'm just gonna like, yeah, whatever. They what I what I have a feeling is that they're gonna have like neighborhood Halloween, if anything. And then, like, do I have to go to that? Like, I have no real reason to, yeah. to be part of that. Do I? Like, no, no. But, um, I'm going to a, a a specific Halloween dog costume parade for Dachshunds this weekend. Oh, I've been meaning to. I've been wanting like, to go to that dog costume parade for so long, but I it's never kind know of what too it much. is. It's always like it's early. It's earlier than you'd think. That's why right. you always miss it. I always miss it. But there's kind of like a rogue Dachshund. Who's on only that one. email? Who's on that email for the dog costume? I think the dog influencers of the city. So we got to get on that list. We got to get on that list. We have the best dogs in the city, as everybody knows. As everybody Um, knows. But but yeah, I think we got to get on this Halloween thing. It just seems like, why are we bringing out confusion? Why is there no executive order from Joe Biden saying, we are celebrating on this day? I think people will forget gas prices if we can just have some clarity on what day we're all trick-or-treating. I also have noticed, and I'm curious if you guys have too, that like as the world has gotten more scary and chaotic, I feel like Halloween decorations have too. Like people do go all out. I guess so. People, it's just you walk around the Upper East Side and it's like, this is terrifying. Like some of this stuff is genuinely scary, but I'm like, you know what? These kids have lived through a global pandemic. Like they've seen some shit. They're not that worried about, you know, a fake bloody skeleton on a townhouse. I don't think it's it's because it's like, oh, we're making it so much scarier to reflect, you know, the existential nature of the world. I think Fine. it's just that they have more sophisticated factories and printing than they did when we mm. were children. And now people will buy it because it's like a contest of like who can be the craziest, have the wildest decorations. And it's so yeah, people will buy it. So they're gonna make it. So they I love it. They can make money. I'm like it eat the rich sense. except for the ones that decorate their townhouses because it's really it's really delightful. My dog fucking hates it, but I, I can't get enough. Really? Really? Yeah. Okay. He's not into it. He's not into I didn't it. I didn't decorate this year, but maybe next year. Yeah, there's enough. There is enough scariness around in my periphery these days. I'm like the Grinch. I don't need to be getting in there. I don't need to put like fake decorations around to know what day it is. Uh, I live in a place where like the median age is like 55. So um, <laughs> even with the young families around, I might end up with some trick-or-treaters because I have a bunch of kids in my building. So maybe I should put some energy into like getting some some cotton ball, the do, doing the whole cotton stretch, uh, wet, you know, mm-hmm. uh, spider webs. And uh, and whatnot, and making sure there's candy for the the tiny humans. Question: When you were growing up, were you a, a a house that left the bowl out, or did you make them ring? Uh, well, we didn't have a. We were an apartment building most of my life, uh, so we didn't really have a bowl out. Um, 
and you, you, it's just it's just not the thing to do trick-or-treating necessarily in the building unless you know people in the building so you you wouldn't really be ringing um right. but when when i was a little bit older and i had actually stopped doing halloween but my brother was still quite young we would we would sit out so we would be out there the entire time wow and he, like- he one parent would stay out and one parent would take him around to do the trick-or-treating I think we did a mix of both. I think we did a mix of both. I think we probably flexed a couple years. My mom will probably correct me. Like there had to be, you know, one one or two good years where we were where we were a full Hershey bar house, but I know it wasn't every year. And we certainly weren't leaving those out. You know, we were making the kids ring for those. You can't just leave those out. Yeah, we were never a that never I never even realized that people were full candy bar houses until like I think like last year, honestly. My mom's probably gonna text me like we never fucking did that, but yeah. I swear at least well, once or twice we did, we once, did do that, but, you know, like when yeah. we were new to the neighborhood, you know, but then oh. once we were there, it was like, fuck it, these kids, oh, these make- th- teenagers can get it off brand Oh, I am, I am making my new neighbors some cookies yeah. this weekend. Let me just say that. Cute. Because, you know, you, you know, you got to do you that. Gotta. Um, but, but just to say, we were always a, a leave it out and like pretend not, it's not happening kind of yeah. thing. That's Which definitely, I still have to that turn eventually. I loved being, having a night where I could dress up and just do whatever. And I'm kind of sad that like, that like, I mean, I did it for a while in my twenties with, you know, every version of the sexy costume that you could think Naturally, of. Naturally. Yes. I did sexy devil for quite some time, which was really just my favorite red sweater dress and a pair of devil horns solving <laughs> many, many problems with having to Perfect. spend money. Why not? <laughs> I was like, let me get some stilettos. <laughs> A red sweater dress and a pair of horns. Done. Um, but I'm really looking forward to eventually getting back into it. I would like to have tiny humans and do mm-hmm. family costumes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it will ruin their childhoods, I suspect. Yes. But, you know. Yes. That is a pro of procreating for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you are searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone on any occasion. Now it's easier to find gifts made by independent sellers for all of the people in your life, like the pickleballers, I know plenty of those, the jazz fan, the artist, the pasta lover, whatever niche interest they have, you can find an incredible gift on Etsy. From 90s nostalgia and mixology to reality TV and gaming, there is something for everyone. There is so much pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas specifically for my dad, but my dad loves flying, he loves airplanes, he loves aviation, and he never gets sick of a cute little gift that has a reference to that. And the inventory for that on Etsy is incredible. I hope my dad lives for 200 years because I can get him a birthday present related to aviation or planes from Etsy for every single one of them, if not hundreds and hundreds of years more. There really is that much. A gifting moment is always around the corner, but whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you, Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9, with available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. 
Speaking of a potentially terrifying weekend, Elon Musk has until 5 p.m. tomorrow to finalize his purchase of Twitter. So as a reminder, he ultimately decided to move forward with the $44 billion purchase after the company pursued legal action against him. And as background, Musk balked from the deal after he said he discovered that bot accounts make up a large portion of users, larger portion than he thought, which he said didn't justify the price. But I think he balked at a lot of things like, oh, shit, I just offered $44 billion for this company. Twitter rejects that there are that many bots and they were ready to take him to court because he totally fucked with the company when he did this all publicly. And if he doesn't complete the deal by tomorrow, then legal action can continue. Looking like it's going to happen, the share price looks, people seem confident, but really just thoughts and prayers to those first year legal associates who are working on this and are going to be like staring down a 5 p.m. deadline. It cannot be fun. That would be miserable to have to work that hard for Mr. Musk. I wonder like where he's getting the money from and will we know exactly where it I all came from? I think that's what's figuring out right now. Like is the money coming through? The banks are now have to like materialize $44 billion. How do you even – you should probably start that transfer now, dude. Like this is going <laughs> to take a minute. Right. Um, I think it takes a minute to load. Like how does that even happen? Yeah. Like how do they even – I'm just I'm, I'm just interested in that. Logistically, like, yeah. Right. Like don't – he probably has to liquidate like a lot of Tesla shares, which – you have to wonder how that's going to affect the Tesla price Jesus. and what happens to that also very important company, which has cars that people are driving and that like is currently being a- investigated by the DOJ because of fatal crashes. I mean, and then you also think about the fact that he's famous for stock manipulation. So part of the reason that Twitter took him to court was that they said that he just did it. He bought the stake and Twitter wanted to inflate his Twitter stock, then sell it off. Mm-hmm. So walk away with a profit and was never interested seriously in buying, but he did all of that stuff in public, which, which basically like forced them to agree to sale. He's done this a lot. Like he's been investigated by the SEC multiple times for uh, public stock ma- manipulation by using the press and even Twitter to basically basically run pump and dump schemes and he's done it with his tesla stock too which is why it got damaged when initially he backed off from the sale because they were like you're going to need to sell a bunch of tesla stock and that's going to damage tesla in order to finish the twitter sale so i don't know he's got to pull together a bunch of investors right now and some of them if they read the there's a huge treasure trove of like his emails and this man is He's he's not smart. Let's just be clear. He is not like, you know, you're thinking like this man's a billionaire. He's richest in the world. Top tier intellect. No, you can read through his correspondence. He's not. He's not there. No insult, you know, just like it's it's not happening. So I'm wondering who these other billionaires are who are like, yeah, I totally want to throw in cash with Elon to like let him destroy Twitter. <laughs> like, I know I'm never getting that money back. It's fine. <laughs> It's just a two or three billion off the top. I don't understand how the they don't know anyone putting in money. How do they not know that their investment is going to, you know, be gone in a minute when he is saying before he's even purchased the company that he thinks like so most of the use not most but just a huge percentage of the users aren't even real. And that he's planning to fire three quarters of the company. So, so you're literally buying, he's buying it to watch his investment totally disappear. I get it. He has to, to avoid the rest of his text messages being released, but at, 
Oh. Or paying or paying a mere one billion dollars, like you could save forty three of those. Um, yeah. Regardless, it's just that if, if anything proves that he's not smart, this whole that that mess that we're in. And then who are these morons who are like his friends? Clearly, very very rich people who don't care if a few billion dollars are gone. Or all this to me just underscores how none of this is like real money that none of these people really believe that they had it anyway mm-hmm. in any sort of liquid, real, tangible fashion if they feel comfortable thro- putting it towards an investment that has been basically publicly – I mean, it's Twitter may eventually be worth more money in the future, but you're losing your investment immediately. Right. Not only are you overpaying for it, but you are basically paying $44 billion for 7,000 people that you're going to immediately whittle down to like two to 3,000 people. He says he's not going to do this now. I mean, there's a lot of Hail Marys he's doing. Like he wrote a letter to advertisers. He says, no, I'm not going to fire that many people. Obviously, there's going to be tremendous amount of layoffs. Yeah. There's going to be tons of layoffs. Well, there's going to be layoffs anyway. Because the the company said they plan to lay off like a quarter of the workforce, which is like, sure, that might make sense. Like, for yeah, business. I was shocked to hear they had seven thousand people. Like, what are that? What are they doing? <laughs> right. I mean, obviously, this business needs to be reevaluated, but the issue is that it needs to be reevaluated by like a serious person who wants to yes. turn, you know, who doesn't have like his own narcissistic interest and like potentially is a threat to national security. In mind, um, in the right hands, like Twitter could have like – could be like a reasonable investment and have a strong future. Maybe it's not worth what they're – maybe it's not worth $44 billion at the moment and maybe it does Mm -hmm. need to be sort of like reorganized. But that doesn't mean it shouldn't be considered – it should just – Elon Musk is the absolute worst person to be the one reorganizing it. Yeah. So yesterday, Musk Musk is trying to – He's throwing a few Hail Marys here. I mean, but he started yesterday by posting a video of himself entering the Twitter office, carrying a sink, potentially a trolley reference to kitchen sinking, which is apparently taking a radical action to reform a company, even though he says that I can't. It's like behind the Bloomberg article where apparently it's like, actually, I'm not going to lay off this many people. He apparently said that to employees, but like, of course he did. Of course, of course he said that. And this morning, one day ahead of the final sale, Musk posted a letter to Twitter advertisers claiming he doesn't want the platform to become a free-for-all hellscape where anything can be said with no consequences. That's a quote. He said the platform must be, quote, warm and welcoming to all and suggested you can choose different levels of intensity, like in a video game. Curious to see how that you can be warm and welcoming to all and bring Trump back, which he has toyed with. He also said that for him, Twitter isn't a money-making venture. He said he's doing this for humanity because he loves humanity. Like I said, this seems to be a Hail Mary that I think somebody finally explained to him Twitter's business model, which is ad revenue. And now he's like, okay, we can be – here's – I promise we can be brand safe. This could be a safe place for advertisers. And, you know, looming recessions are not a great time for ad revenue. It's, it's especially if, you know, Twitter's not really – having effective ads, it's like the first thing that's going to go. So this just suddenly he's like saying like actions mean more than words, Mr. Musk is what I'm feeling. He's just like Trump. It's literally like the same thing. Like I'm going to do this. So I'm not going to start a war with North Korea, but I am going to start a war with North Korea. It's like, it's this, you're right. Actions mean more than words. And he 
here's my question. Why do the sh- these shareholders not sue him for the fact that he is not, that he's saying that this is not a money-making venture? Mm-hmm. Like, how can you say that when you have a fiduciary ju- duty to this public company now that you just purchased? Well, I guess he might probably want to take it private, which is my guess. Um, and then he's going to put Trump back on the platform immediately. It's going to go become chaos again. And this just like this was like such an X factor. It's kind of mm-hmm. it's kind but, of nuts and happening before the midterms when who knows what he'll say. Yeah, I think it's also like, I mean, even if you affect everything, basically he's buying the shareholders out. So they at this point are just like, give me me, give me my cash, let me get out of this because it's going to be a shit show. But the thing that like blows my mind is like he's getting he he cannot do this by himself. I know people like wealth does not function in the way like, yes, he's got billions of dollars, but he doesn't really have billions of dollars. It's all mm-hmm. an aggregate sum of like all the different holdings he has. Very little of it is liquid. Um, and almost no billionaire actually lives off of cash. Overwhelmingly, they just take out personal loans and pay them back at like zero percent interest. Which they can do because of their fake billions. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. The value that they have, they basically just leverage, they just leverage their worth and they can just take out like millions of dollars in personal loans and then pay them back like uh, never. And it doesn't really matter. Banks will just let them do it forever. Um, but so That's Elon doesn't really have thing. the money. Well, they're the real welfare queens. It's crazy. <laughs> they they yes. really are. Any Not billionaire you know has doing less work than any human you've ever met. Um, no, but basically, <laughs> like, <laughs> Basically, Elon Musk is like, it doesn't have the money. So he has to put together a group of investors. And like, meanwhile, he's like trying to pitch all these people because that's who he's really talking to the people that he has to get the money from. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, it's not going to get like a free for all because he has to tell the advertisers like, okay, so the investors need I'm working with want to be paid back for the million, the billions of dollars they're pouring into this company. They're going to lose. It's just like, it's, it's mind boggling to me. I, I deeply enjoy his discomfort and yet I'm so afraid for Twitter as a platform because honestly, Twitter at this moment has a tremendous opportunity as Meta and Facebook basically continue to undermine their social media products. We have a great opportunity to like step in and make Twitter a bigger social media platform that more people are on. And they are blowing it by like deciding that Elon Musk should buy it. <laughs> Elon's blowing it too. It's That's what amazing. he wants to do. He wants to make it like the everything app. He said that. Like he wants to like model it off of like WeChat in China. And like that's his kind of plan for it. But if anything, I think what this does is it like kind of exposes how the way that all these people do business is mm-hmm. not real. Like it's not based on actual value that these companies are creating or the jobs that these companies are creating. It's really like all just kind of based on this general gentleman's agreement and vibes amongst like the people who are, you know, mm-hmm. maybe the set of 5,000 people who exist. Yeah. In I this mean, we world. saw the text of like, of like, wasn't it like Joe Rogan texting him like, oh, I can't believe you're going to buy Twitter. This is going to be so great. <laughs> like, yeah. Like we're going to have a party. And the other thing is just revealed, which is just so gross is like to see, you know, whenever you watch coverage about it, it's like shareholders are happy. And then it's like 
but the employees are bugging out and they don't know what the future of their health care. And it's just so icky that like, I mean, there are plenty of companies, this is capitalism, this is how it works, where it's like a lot of decisions are made for the shareholders to get a return for the shareholders. It's got nothing to do with the quality of life of the employees or their, you know, upward mobility. And I mean, from everything I've read from inside of Twitter, why would you, why would you work hard if you worked at Twitter right now? Why? This is not a money-making venture. True, fair, yes. (laughs) There's actually a court case that said that you are legally not allowed as a company owner to put your employees higher than your shareholders at any point. Like It's called Dodge v. Ford. It's Michigan Supreme Court. And basically, like Ford was like, hey, I'm going to pay my employees better. I know he's a raging anti-Semite. Really important to remember that Henry Ford was a terrible human being in many, many, many ways. Cool. Okay. So, but he was like weirdly pretty good on labor rights just because he wanted to preempt uh, strikes and People other surprise, things yeah. for his business. Mm. Um, and he was like, I would like to, my fiduciary duty is to like everybody in my company. And the Dodge brothers who had wanted to separate from him and like build their own car company were like, well, I'm, we're shareholders and you've undermined, by putting employees up there, you've undermined our ability to basically leave and create our own company. And mm-hmm. he was like, well, no, I should be able to do that. And they were like, no, you only owe shareholders and we're shareholders. So you should give un- us only money. And basically it was like 19, whatever, very early in the century. And so they were like, basically workers have no rights and only shareholders and capital have rights. So basically all those people should just like fuck off and die. And the Ford lost the case. And that's why our entire capitalist system is super fucked. You're welcome. <laughs> and that's why corporations are people. Yeah, precisely. Precisely. I mean, that's that's what's like, I always sort of like, it sort of punches me in the gut is like when I'm sort of thinking of Elon Musk and how terribly he's botched this like little business thing of his, but like also it's Twitter. Like this is the place where like things can go viral and people can be motivated and people really do get their information and a place where like, you know, yeah, things... I know everybody's on TikTok now, but I don't really see a lot of TikTok videos with tens of millions of views. And I do see that on Twitter regularly. Honestly, Twitter, here's the thing. Twitter can still become MySpace. Like there is a chance that that can happen. (laughs) And there's also a chance that that sort of um, brain power that that can like aggregate on a different platform. Mm -hmm. We don't know what it'll be. Or if it may, might even be one that exists already or, or whatever it is. But it's going to be different because it's not going – my assumption is that it will not capture, like, the full breadth of society in the way that, like, Twitter originally did. Like, it'll be, like, blue check Twitter, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. I did see some people today – I mean, this always happens when, like, the deal is close to sharing their favorite tweets from the past – like 20 years. Oh. <laughs> RIP Twitter. As we go on. Hey there, overwhelmed foodies. Are you drowning in a sea of meal kit options, feeling like you're in a bad dating game where every contestant looks the same, with the same fish picture? Fear not, because amidst the chaos, there's one shining star worth your culinary affection. Home Chef is not just another fish in the meal kit sea. They're the gourmet catch that you've been dreaming of. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes, conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. 
Whether you prefer classic meal kits with pre-portioned ingredients and easy instructions, speedy recipes ready in less than 30 minutes, oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients, or quick microwave meals that assemble in minutes, Home Chef has you and the entire family covered for delicious meals without the hassle. Home Chef has over 30 options a week, and they serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it is economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. So for a limited time, Home Chef is offering our listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash fever dream. That's homechef.com slash fever dream for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash fever dream. You must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Now we welcome back Marissa Cabus, journalist and MSNBC columnist, to discuss the possibility of a Republican governor of New York. Cringe. Yikes. No. <laughs> big yikes. Big no. <laughs> spooky. Spooky. Hi. <laughs> welcome back. Welcome back. I don't know. We were just chatting before about weddings. I don't think we've had we've seen you since you've gotten engaged. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm in the thick of wedding planning and uh, all the the feminist parts of my brain are just completely yeah. screaming, but I'm still <laughs> I'm still enjoying it somehow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I the one benefit of my wedding is that like I did most of the plan because you have to like like select a lot of vendors like a year to nine months ahead of time. So at least with mine, like I secured all of mine with like pre-inflation pricing. And then, and then they just were like stuck with that. So I had like, you know, like an October, 2021 wedding for Octo- in October, 2022. But now it's, yeah, it's, I've talked to a couple people where it's like, who are in the phases where it's like, I feel like you need an emotional support person for when you first start planning and start seeing how much is into it. It's, it's too much. Yeah. It's, it's pretty nuts. And at the same time, like New York City is just insanely expensive. I know, Sammy, I've talked to you about this, like trying to find something more reasonable or non-traditional. Like it just, it, it's not a thing. Like you, no. you know. <laughs> it's- Honestly, it's it's hard because you like, ultimately at the end of the day, you need a kitchen and you need bathrooms. And there's a reason that like venues have it and they're able to price gouge at the points that they do. Although to be honest, it is it's expensive for them too. It's just that in general, the wedding industry puts a premium on everything because they know that you that, that people will spend. And I feel like where were we? Maybe Marissa, we were talking about how like weddings are a luxury item and how mm-hmm. like the people view them as a necessity. Yes. And that in New York, particularly, it's like even if you leave the city, the whole tri-state area is just like oh, it's ridiculous. On I thought level. I was like oh, you know, maybe if we go upstate a little bit or you know out to Long Island where I'm from, but no, it, it really doesn't make a difference, and it's it's actually like appalling. And I completely understand now why people opt not to have weddings because it's just. It's an extravagance, honestly. But yeah. I'm, I'm glad you're doing it in the city. Honestly, it's just worth the peace of mind. Like it was so nice not to have to think about like how to get people places and like how to get all of our because we did like a lot of our own decor. Like I don't know what I would have done. Like it's so much easier to just like have it where you live. Yeah. Well, Amanda, exactly. it sounds like with your inflation situation, you made money on your wedding. I mean, that's that's <laughs> absolutely. You have a side hustle now. Oh my God. No, I never want to touch a fucking flower again. I've, I've talked to a couple people that are like, well, you, would you recommend doing your own flowers? And I'm like, it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, listen, had we not had to spend 
$10,000 to like save our dog's life multiple times over the summer, probably I would not have done my own flowers. But it's like everybody's got different things going on, different calculuses. Like you might seem like like not everybody's parents have been saving for this for life. Anyway, we obviously – that's why there's another Betches podcast about this. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I'll, I'll go on Betches weddings. And, yes. You know. <laughs> yes. But I do, I do hope that your New York City wedding is safe from all the crime, all the oh. violent crime. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, I luckily didn't have any, any people, any of my guests be like, oh, no, it's in Brooklyn. Are we going to get crimed? Like everybody – luckily, our out-of-staters were, were pretty hip to the these talking points. But Marissa – you attended the debate this week between Governor Kathy Hochul and her appointment, or her opponent, Congressman Lee Zeldin, a Republican. So we wanted to chat with you about kind of this race more generally. So could you bring us through some of the factors influencing this race right now and how they were on display during that debate? Absolutely. So I think first and foremost, it's important to keep in mind that Kathy Hochul, although she is the current governor, she wasn't elected the current governor. She assumed this role after uh, the the dearly departed. Well, he's not dead, but he's, uh, <laughs> the, the departed <laughs> the office, Andrew Cuomo. Um, he he left, and she took over. He's dead to us, yeah. <laughs> and she so she is campaigning for this the job she has for the first mm-hmm. time, and so. So in that way, both her and her opponent, Lee Zeldin, are first-time gubernatorial candidates. Um, There are a lot of issues that are affecting the elections at large on a national scale, but particularly in New York. You know, obviously, abortion rights are are first and foremost on on many of these Democratic voters' minds. But like you mentioned, this crime thing has taken center stage and... Um, it's not to dismiss people's fears about crime and, you know, their, their own personal experiences, but there has been uh, a combination of political candidates and a right wing media machine that has created an atmosphere of fear. And Lee Zeldin, ever the opportunist, was able to really take hold of that and he he, he, he's doing I and mean, he, he's really mm-hmm. figured out a lane into what otherwise would be a very sleepy race for a Democrat. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So during that debate, Hochul frequently reminded voters, well, to sort of stay to stay on kind of the, the crime aspect. I mean, one 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 quote that I saw a lot after the debate was Zeldin saying, you're poorer and less safe thanks to Kathy Hochul. So that is that is the stage of nuance that that we're at here. And so like you said, you know, we don't want to diminish anyone's concerns about safety, but just to sort of discuss the facts about, you know, crime in the city and increases. Less than 1% of people released before trial are rearrested for violent felonies. And that was the number before and after certain reforms that went into effect before uh, Kathy Hochul, I think it was before she even came to the job. So let's talk about this idea of crime increasing. I mean, is crime increasing in the New York area? Is it increasing nationally? Is it increasing because of Kathy Hochul? I mean, Caitlin, what are the actual kind of like numbers here? Okay, so I actually went and I looked this up because, you know, I'm a nerd. And the FBI <laughs> statistics basically said through the Brennan Center that, uh, Pre-pandemic, the American South had something like over 8,000 murders in the year 2019. And the Northeast, which includes obviously New York City, had like, it spiked post-pandemic. And the the spike brought it up to 1,000 murders less than the pre-pandemic numbers in the South. Like, we, the, the, the narrative is just so far ahead of like actual facts 
and people want to feel scared because of course at any given moment it could be them but like it's a little bit like the reverse of the lottery where like people are always like well it could be me it's like well it really couldn't it really couldn't be you Well, this is what I'm wondering is like, Marissa, how is like, you know, people say this race is really narrowing and she's still, she's still the favorite. I mean, it's, it's narrowed to single digits, but that is alarming and turnout, you know, sometimes New Yorkers can get complacent. We're not sure that many people sort of know this is, um, this is kind of an issue, but is Kathy Hochul a particularly like chill on crime Democrat? I mean, the way that they talk about it, you would think that like, (laughs) you would think that she's the one out here saying like, no arrests, abolition. Like, where are they getting this idea that it's Hochul's fault? Yeah, I I think something I noticed, at least within the confines of the debate the other night, is that she kept pivoting to her actions on on gun violence reform and, and trying to limit gun violence. And of course, that is crucial. And I mean, I, that, that should be the top of everyone's list, but it didn't really get to the heart of what's actually happening and not all crime is gun related. So I was a little bit um, confused by why she thought that was sort of a satisfactory answer. However, she's she's not a soft on crime Democrat. She's very much a, a centrist to semi-conservative Democrat. Yeah. And she has linked arms with, with Eric Adams and is, you know, doing his new public safety plan and expanding the omnipresence, as you put it, of cops in the subway. And so, um, you know, she's on board with that. She stood next to him at the press yeah. conference for it. So I don't, but, but with Democrats, it doesn't, it's sort of the same, similar thing to like um, how Republicans call Democrats socialists. Like, and they could be the most conservative Democrat and they're still a socialist. It's sort of like mm-hmm, this same mm-hmm. thing where it's like, you could be the most tough on crime, whatever that means to you, Democrat, and still be framed as this like softy who wants to let criminals out of jail. And so um, she's tried really hard to play along as best she can and, and seem tough while still remaining a Democrat. But, you know, I, I think it would have been great if she actually tried to go further away and not say like, well, you know, we need to have less, obviously we do need less incarceration, but more just talk about mental health and the different ways that we can make our cities safer and housing security and and food instead of just saying, you know, more cops, more cops, more cops, because, um, you know, she's just from the party of defund the police and no one's going to believe her. Right, right. It's just so odd to me that like you can consolidate support in upstate New York over fears of crime in the subway. It's like, y'all aren't in the subway. Like, it's fine. It's fine. I think like Caitlin said, that study, you know, I was also reading, it's like, you know, you don't really, these clips go viral of, you know, unprovoked, uh, you know, situations in the subway. And then just like, it really amplifies how often it's really happening. And then there's this statewide perception that like, it could be you next, but like Sammy and I were just chatting. It takes Sammy 14 minutes in the car to get a gallon of milk where she lives in New York. Like it's, she's fine. (laughs) I am not going, I am no subway problems, but I, I honestly, it really is about perception because these people, people think crime is going up even when it's not. It's like, it's really more about like the way people talk about it because in reality, the States with the, Five states with the most crime are all Republican-run states, and mostly they're in the South. So it's like, I'm more scared to go to the South, honestly, especially as a Jew. I don't know if you saw this last night, but there was the South Carolina gubernatorial debate. And Joe Cunningham, who's the Democrat running for um, governor of South Carolina, he 
he brought up the fact that South Carolina has more murders than New York City. And, you know, I don't think anyone's asking Mm -hmm. people in South Carolina if they're too afraid to live there. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's so interesting. (laughs) (laughs) We're asking the question. You heard of the Murdoch family? Jesus. I mean, those people alone would make me not live in that state. Sorry. (laughs) But there's it's basically racism. It's a dog whistle. It's supposed to get people nervous. I think about it a lot the same way that like a lot of people who don't live anywhere near a major city were terrified of terrorism. I was like, you guys, like New Yorkers, people who live through literally the worst attack on us, like we we know, and we were less afraid about suffering a second attack or, or another thing than people in like Kansas. And I was like, no one is coming to Kansas to do any terrorism, okay? There's no, are not people, there's, no one is fighting you. And they just became like really terrified when people were like, they're coming for us. And I was like, you live in rural Wisconsin. No one is coming for you. Like no one has the time or energy for that. People who actually live in the places are not feeling this. And we're being told. And like, after a while, like if you, all you're hearing is that, then like, yeah, you start to believe it. But like the bleeds it leads level on a lot of the stuff. Like I grew up in New York in the nineties. Like, let me tell you none of Y'all, people take out their fucking laptops on the subway. Do you have any idea what was like growing up in New York City? Like, you could never do that. I would have tucked my chain in my shirt as a child, came from being snatched. And y'all are out here just being like, I'm just going to take out my $2,000 laptop and do some fucking game development. Like, on the subway. You see the viral TikTok? The viral TikTok that was like a girl hiding her engagement ring and she was like getting ready to go on train six. And it was like, honey. Train six, train six, the six train, which goes through the like the upper, like you're fine on train six, girl. It's it's fine, but you know, Kathy Ogle has a path to victory here. But but this margin thinning, this margin narrowing is a bit of a wake up call, Marissa. What do you think New York Democrats and even Northeast Democrats need to kind of learn from what happened, what's happening at the tail end of this race? Well, even before the numbers started narrowing a little bit, I was pretty surprised by what a not aggressive campaign Kathy Hochul was running. Um, I just felt like, you know, you assumed this job and that's awesome. And you're the first woman governor of New York. So you understand better than ever anyone, like how, how much harder women have to fight for the positions that they get. And I was just, I've just been noticing the last you know, couple of months, the, the lack of fight in her. And, you know, that might just be her natural personality. And, you, you know, you can't change that. But even um, at the debate this week, you know, Zeldin came out swinging from the first second and was doing the Trump hands thing, you know, like the Trump hands yeah, gestures. Yeah. <laughs> of course. And, you know, was really Triggered. playing to the camera. And he, he, he wants it. And he is hungry and she was just sort of like yeah I don't really know what he's talking about but like here's Mm -hmm. what I'm gonna say and it's like you know the the Ryan New Yorker and me appreciated that approach but I think people want to see someone fighting for them and saying like I want New York to be safe too like I I love this place and you know this guy is a, a lunatic. He's not going to make totally. you safer. Like I am. I have the plans, and um, I, I, I haven't seen that from her. And so I feel like it's less than two weeks out. I don't know what she's going to change at this point, but I feel like she needs to like go big or go home. 
I think it's a turnout question. I think it's really at this point, like who, how many people are going to show up in New York and vote Democratic on the whole ticket? Because there are a lot of people who are going to come out for Zeldin on their own who do not live in New York City. So pretty much everywhere else, everywhere else there is a anyone who cares about maintaining the access to abortion, like it needs to be framed not as like, oh my gosh, like Kathy Hochul, our hero. It needs to be framed as like New York needs to stay a a state where the governor who's appointing the health commissioner is someone who favors abortion, someone who who believes in um, that elections should be based on counting and not on like uh, my cult leader. So it's really a question more of that than it is about anything else in I my opinion and that's frame it as like don't embarrass us we cannot have a republican go- are you kidding that would be mortifying the shame i would be so embarrassed but new york <laughs> oh has had i have to leave it's got a lot it's had a lot of republican governance for a long time people forget like eric adams is only the third democratic mayor since 1988 like right. this is it's it's and he's like you, you know, like people think like, okay, it's super Democrat. Like it's, we had George Pataki got like a bunch of votes. <laughs> yeah. And you it's know, obviously like a had, part of the cycle that's tough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like, it's really important to emphasize, like, this is the last guard. And I think like she needs to be very clear about like, if you don't elect me, things are going to actually rapidly deteriorate because the government personnel is policy. And Lee Zeldin believes that you can hire a mob to overturn elections. And that's totally fine. He believes that you don't have a right. The government has a right to your body, but you don't, you need to get very aggressive and take like the most aggressive framing of every single issue. And like, I think it's what Marissa was saying, like she needs fight, but she starts saying like, this guy's a fucking nut job like you need to be clear yeah. about like what he's gonna do Let's and be, be like absolutely not okay yeah 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 i would love to see a very aggressive ad from kathy hochel in uh, in these last two weeks so i know we do have a lot of new york city listeners so hopefully that has alarmed you sufficiently enough to make sure you are turning out and casting your vote for kathy hochel that is our show thank you so much marissa and of course people can find can find more of you in your msnbc column what are you what do you think you're gonna what's turning around in your head next that you're probably gonna explore well, I actually have a piece coming out on this very topic today. So uh, look for that on MSNBC.com. And um, a few other things percolating. I have a really good one about how young women are going to be turning out to vote in this election and how it's going to make all the difference. And I'm really Thank excited. God. Yeah. Thank I'm- God. I need to read that one. We all need to read that one. That is our show. Until the end of democracy, I'm Amanda Duberman for Sammy Sage and Caitlin Bird. This is Betches Up Podcast. Bye. The Betches Up Podcast is produced by Amanda Duerman, Sean Kilby, Jorge Morales-Pico, and Rebecca Sousmacat. Editing by Rebecca Sousmacat. Social media by Amanda Duberman and Bridget Swartz. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore sup on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails at suppod at betches.com. Betches.